0: Let's pray together. Father, we come in this moment to say thank you, God, for saving us. Lord, thank you that we can, in this moment, just focus on you and who you are and what you're accomplishing in us. And God, we ask you to do a mighty work today in our midst. God, we ask you to do a mighty work in our lives individually and our lives corporately. And Lord, that people would know your name as a result. Father, thank you for our time together. Would you be honored and glorified in our midst in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 18, please. And um, I hope that you're planning. We actually have a picnic planned um, after this service. So I hope that you and your family uh, will join us for that. It's at Oscar Fraser Park, just a couple of blocks from here. Uh, if you need uh, directions or need help getting there, just just catch somebody um, around Josh or myself or any of the guys you saw that uh, were receiving your offerings a little bit ago. They'll be able to point you in that right direction, or maybe there'll be a caravan and you'll just be able to follow people as they go. But um, I hope that you'll do that. It's going to be a good time uh, for us just to be together um, as a family, and so it's exciting Uh, exciting times. Uh, In the book of Genesis, last week we talked about um, your finances, and that's very uncomfortable for most of us, and so I thought we would follow that up this morning and talk about your prayer life, Um, because I know it's kind of a touchy subject with a lot of people is your prayer life. Um, It's a little bit of a touchy subject with me as well, because most of us feel like our prayer life isn't what it should be. Most of us already feel guilty enough about not praying enough or whatever, and we, we struggle with that. In fact, most people, um, their prayer life consists of maybe a rote prayer at a meal. Maybe it's just this, um, God is great, God is good, and we thank Him for this food, amen. And that might be the scope of your prayer life, is you do that three times a day and you call it good. Uh, for some of you, I heard one guy pray one time, and he said, um, "God, peer through the crack and bless this tiny little snack." That was his mealtime prayer. Um, I, I don't know where you are in your prayer life. I know that most people that I've encountered in my life struggle a little bit with their prayer life. Um, they struggle. They maybe they don't know what to say. They don't know how to say it. They don't. There's all sorts of things in the midst of that. And, and in Genesis 18, we come across a very interesting picture of Abraham in really his prayer life, even though the word prayer is never mentioned. Uh, The word prayer isn't mentioned at all in Genesis 18. It's really just a conversation that he has with God. And for a lot of people, what would help your prayer life is just simply for you to understand it's your um, conversation with God. It's you having a conversation with God. It doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to be grammatically correct, which is really good in my world. Um, it, it, doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be spelled correctly. It just is a conversation that you have between you and the Father. And that's really what you encounter in Genesis chapter 18. You just encounter a conversation. And my prayer today is that in the midst of this conversation, that you would be challenged in your prayer life, that you would be challenged in your relationship with God to enter into some better and deeper and more meaningful conversations. Because that's what prayer is. It's a conversation. So Genesis 18, we're going to pick up in verse 16. I told you a couple of weeks ago that we were going to kind of take some things out of sequence. Uh, As we look, we're continuing to look in the story of Lot. Now, Abraham is still a key player In the story of Lot, and and today is leading up to what's going to happen next week um, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Which, if you've ever been to Sunday school for any length of time, or you've probably heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, even if you haven't spent a great deal of time in the church, and so we're going to finish up the story of Lot next week, and then we're going to come back and pick back up really the story of Abraham and the promise of Isaac and some of those types of things. And so, but today we're we're sort of in this this precursor to what's going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah, and it comes in the form of a conversation. And it's a beautiful conversation, by the way. So we're picking up kind of in the middle of a story, and I want to tell you that so you you, maybe you will be lost, but at least you know you're lost, and sometimes just knowing you're lost is a good thing. Um, It's when you don't know you're lost, and and it's awful. But verse 16 says this, "Uh, then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, "'Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice.'" so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what um, he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, verse 20, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Verse 22. Really begins to get into this conversation. Then the men turned away From there and went towards Sodom. And while Abraham was standing before the Lord, and I just want to stop there for a minute. Stop reading. Stop it. Stop reading. As Abraham was standing before the Lord, and just think about that for a minute. They'd been in the midst of this conversation, these men leave, they go towards Sodom. And Abraham's left standing before God. That should really speak to us. I think it does. I I, I look at it and I just am just reminded of that personal nature of God. God's seems like He's this far off, way out there, omnipotent, and all those things. But yet, Scripture, there's always this description of him being this personal God. So Abraham's left standing before God. goes on to say this. Abraham came near and said, "'Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked?' "'Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. "'Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place?' for the sake of the fifty righteous who were in it. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? You see, Abraham's trying to reconcile some tension in his, in, in his mind. He's trying to reconcile some tension between how God is going to destroy the wicked but there's going to be righteous that suffer along with that. And he, to him, it's just, how could God do this? How could a just God destroy the righteous along with the wicked? And he's going, wait a minute, that God, that's not like you. That's not like you. Will you do this? Are you going to do this? And so he begins to make a bargain with God, so to speak. Surely none of us have ever done that, Right? You've never done that. You've never had that. Well, God, if you will do this, I will. Duh, 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 duh. Okay? I'm not going to ask you to raise hands because most of you would lie about it. But um, that's what's happening. Surely. It says So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. That's pretty good. But Abraham sort of starts thinking a little bit. And he says, And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, and although I am but dust and ashes, so now he brings humility into the picture, suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And here he goes. He spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. And then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak, suppose 30 are found. So now he starts moving in increments of 10 instead of 5. Suppose I find 30 there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. And then he said, O oh, men, the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 10 As soon, verse 33, as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. One commentary I I read said that the Lord departed because he knew what the next part of the bargain was. He moved down from 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10, and then it's probably just going to be just one, just one. What you see is a great picture of intercession, intercession, a great picture of of prayer, a great picture of this guy having a conversation with God, a conversation. And and like I said, the word prayer is not mentioned. I mean, this is just this exchange between Abraham and God. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning is is your prayer life, your, your intercessory prayer life, especially in talking about this. And if you fill in the blanks, it's kind of the top... Um, thing on your outline. It's just this, that you would act on behalf of someone in the presence of God. That you would act on behalf of someone in the presence of God. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about intercession, is that you would enter in the presence of God, and that you would speak, that you would petition God on behalf of somebody else. We're, we're really good, it seems, in our life to, to pray for ourselves, You know, you've got that list of things that you're just kind of thrown out there. But what you see in in this text, in particular in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham's not talking about himself at all. In fact, he's really petitioning God, and he's asking God on behalf of people whom he doesn't even know their name. I mean, sure, he knows Lot and Lot's wife and Lot's family, but he doesn't know anybody else right there that you see. He's just saying, God, if you find 50 righteous people, then would you spare 50 righteous people? Would you spare all of Sodom on behalf of 50 righteous people? And so the challenge for us is that you and I would begin acting on people's behalf in the presence of God. That you would begin to to look at people, their needs and and, and their spiritual life, and you would begin acting and praying and petitioning God and get into his presence. And and that's the big picture for a lot of us is just the presence of God. Understanding the presence of God and being willing to get into the presence of God and needing to understand that um, you need that in your life. You need that in your life. And and friends, the presence of God doesn't show up when you're just reciting the rote prayer at mealtime. It doesn't. You're just just saying it. And if you're like my family, it's just one of those things where it's chaos around the dinner table sometimes. And it's like, oh no, we forgot to pray. So somebody who wants to pray and we'll throw the hand up somebody I want to pray. We got three-year-olds that want to pray. And their theology is pretty messed up, by the way. You know, and they're praying. But sometimes that's that, but that can't be all that is in your prayer life. You need to get into the presence of God. The presence of God. There's three things that you see in this particular passage of Scripture and talking about um, intercessory prayer. There, there's three things that as you look at it, And surprisingly, they all start with the letter P. I know that's like amazing for me to come up with an outline that actually does that. But there is, there's three things that you see um, in this. The first one is the purpose of intercession. The purpose of intercession. It's the the first piece of that in your outline. With the purpose of intercession, here it is, the big word, and I don't know why the outline is not popping up on the screen, but maybe it will. Um, The purpose of intercession, the big word is... Others. Others. You might want to write that out to the side because a lot of times we get stuck thinking um, that prayer is just about us. But when you really think about intercession and making intercessory prayers, you're looking at others. And that's not easy for us to do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not easy for us in our life to. Think of others. It's one of the most challenging things in our spiritual walk, by the way. It's, it's one of the reasons Paul wrote so much about it. When you really dig into what Paul writes in the New Testament, and Paul wrote a pretty good chunk of the New Testament, one of the things that you discover is that he was always teaching and always talking about others, how we treat others, how we interact with others, how we love others. how we It's, it's others, And so one of the first things that you and I need to understand in the purpose of intercession is that we're talking about other people. We're talking about your neighbor. You know, the guy that lives next door that you may never talk to. We're talking about you interceding in the presence of God on his behalf. We're talking about the person that took your parking space Mm -hmm. the first service laughed a little more at that one (laughs) must be a little too personal for y'all you're praying for other people you're interceding you're petitioning god in you're getting into his presence and it's about others it's about others in their life, in their needs, and and what God is doing in them, what God will do in them. But the idea is you're thinking of others. And, And here's one of the most novel concepts for us. As we will begin to intercede and pray for others, our view of them will change. As we will begin to do this, our view of others, especially if you know their names, especially if you can mention them by name and you're interceding for them, and not just like, oh God, be with them. we, we, We get into our prayer circles sometimes, and it's like, oh, Father, would you be with them? Well, I understand what you're saying, but let me just challenge you with that. God has already promised that he will what? Never leave us nor forsake us. So guess what? If you're a child of God, he is with you. You don't have to pray that God would be with them. You might need to pray that God would help them. You might pray that, God, that they would understand the presence of God more, but it's part of us understanding we're in the presence of God, and we're talking, and we're interceding on behalf of others, others. So we've got we've to pay attention to what we're saying and what we mean when we're asking God, we're petitioning God. So the purpose, others, think of all the other statements in Scripture Romans chapter 12 has a lot of them. Um, Philippians, Paul talks about them, um, talks about have this attitude like Jesus who didn't consider others better than himself. Those types of things. I mean, that's the big idea. When you're praying for others, them by name, your attitude towards them will change. That's the first thing. The second thing about intercession is the power. The power of intercession And and here's kind of the big big idea when you understand the power of intercession. The purpose of intercession is uh, others. The power of intercession, the power of intercession, the power of your prayer doesn't lie in your ability to pray. It doesn't rely in your ability to use the best words and the most uh, prolific language that you can think of. You know those people that want to pray? I, I, used, I, I actually um, admit I used to be one of those people where it was like I wanted to sound really good. It, it made me feel good when people would come up and go, man, I love the way you pray. You know? And there's people that are like that. It, but that's not what prayer is about. The power of prayer doesn't, it, it doesn't rest in your ability to pray. It doesn't rest in your having the right words to speak. Doesn't do It, it doesn't even have anything to do with the person you're praying for. The power of your prayer, the power of your intercession, it doesn't have anything to do with, with the person of it. It doesn't have anything to do with that name that you may be listed. It doesn't, in, in Abraham's story, in, in this, in Genesis chapter 18, it doesn't have anything to do with the 50 righteous, or the 45 righteous, or the 40, or the 30, or the 20, or the 10. The power of intercession lies in the person that we're praying to. The power of intercession lies in the presence of God. It's the presence of God, it's the power, that's where it's at. It has nothing to do with you, it doesn't have anything to do with the other person, it has everything to do with God. It has everything to do with God. One of the, one of the great pieces of this particular passage, is, to me, is, comes in verse 22 and 23 in, in Genesis. So it says this, The men turned away from there and went to Sodom while Abraham was standing before the Lord. This this awesome moment that he has heard. He has just heard that I will go down to Sodom and I'm going to see if what, what, I, what I know is happening is really what's being reported to me, the outcry that I'm hearing. It's like I'm going to go down there and then I'm going to judge them. But, but Abraham finds himself in that awesome moment of standing, just he and God. Everybody else is left. He and God standing there. And then the, the second part of that comes in verse 23. And it's this. Abraham came near. Abraham came near. And when you begin to understand that the power of prayer doesn't rest in you, in your eloquence, and it doesn't rest in the person that you're praying for, but it rests in the person that you're praying to, then when you find yourself in the presence of God, you're going to want to draw near. You're going to want to get a little bit closer and sit with Him. See, one of the beautiful pictures in Scripture for us is in the New Testament where Paul begins to describe the relationship that we have with God as Abba Father, as Daddy. This very intimate connection that we would have with God the Father. So, as you're standing in His presence, what are you going to want to do? You want to draw near. Why? Because that's where the power lies. It lies in the person that you're praying to. It doesn't lie in you, and it doesn't lie in the person you're praying to. It has everything to do with Abba, Father. And you then will want to draw near to him. It's one of those things in my life where with our kids, you know, sitting on the sofa last night and our kids get a little bit of time to unwind before we're putting them to bed. And I'm just sitting on the sofa at one point. Tate, three-year-old Tate's a little distracted. But when he realizes, wait a minute, my dad's sitting next to me. He climbs up on my lap. It wasn't good enough for him to be just next to me anymore. He wanted to draw near and be there. And friends, when you want to talk about taking your prayer life to a different level, then begin to understand the presence of God and draw near. Draw near draw in and be there because that's where the power lies and then you're going to discover two things amazing and awesome things about God in the midst of that and there's two words and they're not going to appear on the screen just so you know and they're this that God is willing and that God is able when you when you draw into the presence of God and you, you begin to understand this, this is the creator of the universe. And guess what? He wants something to do with you. The, the, you, you. You know, some of you intellectually, you understand all of the things about Jesus, that he died on the cross and you believe, even you believe in that. But do you know Have you really got your head around the fact that the reason for that is He wants a relationship with you? That He wants you not just to know His presence, but then in His presence that you want to draw. He wants you to draw near to Abba, Father. And when you begin to do that, two things, He is willing and He is able. Look at what happens throughout this particular passage in Genesis 18. And and I'm going to fly through this, so you might just want to write verse 26 and just pay attention right here. Because listen to what God says. If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. Then He says at the end of verse 28, I will not destroy it if I find 45. 45. And then he says, I will not do it on account of the 40. I will not do it. I will not. What is it? I mean, he's willing to spare Sodom In, in, in this particular conversation, this particular prayer, this intercession that Abraham's making. What is it? God is willing. He's willing to listen. He doesn't say, as Abraham approaches God in that moment, he stands before God the Father, and he's just beginning to petition God on behalf of those 50 people God doesn't say, I've already, I'm not listening to you. Not only is he willing to listen to Abraham, he's also willing to act. He's willing. He says, Abraham, I'm listening. If, I find, if we find 50, I will spare them. If we find 45, I will spare them. If we find 40, I will spare them. If we find 30, I will spare them. If we, He's willing. And I, I don't know about you, but in my life, the more that I draw near into the presence of God, the more that I discover He's willing. He's willing. He's willing to listen. He's willing to act in accordance with His will, of course. But He's willing. And that's a good thing about having Abba Father in your life. The second thing that you discover about God is that he's able. As you draw into his presence, you begin to understand he's willing, and then you begin to understand that he is able. Like, able. Like, he is able to accomplish He is able to move. He is able to do immeasurably, exceedingly beyond. We're going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture, but what you've got to understand is that our God is able. Our God is able. I want to show you three different passages of Scripture and you can turn there. They might show up on this. They're not going to show up on the screen. I'm just being told. That's okay. Um, go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Okay? Three different, I want to go three different passages. And, and the first one's Matthew chapter 9, verses 29 and 30. We're going to read, start at verse 27, and I'll, I'll pick up, and you can hopefully just mark down 29 and 30 in particular. But big picture for you and I is that our God is able our God is able. Our God is able. And listen to what he says. Verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I am able to to do this. They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, it shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were open. and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. What is, what's the question he asks them? He says, do you believe that I am able to do this? In your prayer life, as you are and I'll give it to you, you can be interceding for somebody or just in your own prayer life and what you're dealing with. Do you believe that God is able? Have you gotten to the place where you could be the blind man walking in the room, coming into the presence of Jesus Christ, and he asks you the question, do you believe that I am able to do this? And you can say with a resounding yes, a resounding voice, yes, I believe. Yes, I believe that, God, you are able to do this. Doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to do it, but I believe with everything that's within me that you are able. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, and I'm sure it's true in some of your lives, that you've gotten to the place where sometimes you're praying something, but in the back of your mind you're going, I'm not sure that God can do this. but you're like, I'm going to throw it out there anyway. And what I want to say is when you draw near into the presence of God and you understand that not only is he willing, but he is also able to do it. He's able to do it. Romans chapter 4, flip over a couple of pages. Romans chapter 4 specifically talking about Abraham and Sarah Paul writes these these three verses remarkable verses of scripture that I would encourage you if you're somebody who memorizes scripture and my prayers that all of us would be but um, I know that we're not these are three great verses for you to know these are three great verses for you to just tuck away in your mind and and here's and here's what it says In Romans chapter 4, it says, Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet, this is it, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able he was able he was able get it through our thick skulls right he was able also to perform he was able why well god had promised and when you take a promise of god you take it to the bank what God had promised He was able to perform. So what's your prayer life like? Do you believe the power of your prayer life rests in you being able to say the right words? I've met, I've met people who, who don't want to pray because they say I don't know what to say. The power is not in what you say, the power is in who you're talking to. And God says, draw near. God says, I've given you direct access. I sent Jesus. The veil is torn from top to bottom. You can approach the throne of grace with boldness. I've given you access, draw near. I'm willing and I'm able, draw near. I'm willing, I'm able, draw near. And become like Abraham, who's sitting there going, This doesn't make any sense. I'm way past childbearing eight, and my wife's way past childbearing eight, and there's no way. But God promised, and he is able. And I believe. Draw near into the presence of God. Last verse for us to look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. God is willing, God is able. Verses 20 and 21. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Let me say that again. I'm not sure you heard it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that's not even the end of the book. That's not even the end of the letter. That's the middle of the letter. But he's saying, now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more, to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly, exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you could ask or imagine. Our God is able. And not only is he able, but he is able to do far beyond what you even can ask or think. That's the kind of God that says, draw near. Come into my presence. Come into this relationship. Engage in the conversation. Draw near. The power lies in him, and he is willing, and he is able Last thing from Genesis chapter 18. You've talked about we've talked about the purpose and being others. We've talked about the power resting in God. And now we're going to talk about the person meaning you. The person. You and me. And three things that you begin to see about the person. Of prayer, the person of intercession. There's three specific things that you need to know about your own life and walk and prayer at this point. The first one is this: you need to have a relationship with God the Father. Period. You need to have a relationship with God the Father. God, God's not a genie in a bottle. Some people think he's the genie in the bottle, the genie in the lamp. Some people think, I remember teaching one time on prayer and I had a little jack-in-the-box from when um, uh, my kids were a little bit younger, you know, the one that you you just... You just do this little number and then it pops out. And some people, that's what they, how they approach God. It's like, he, you know, boom, he's in the box. But then when I need him, I'm going to sh- 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 say the magic word and boom, he's going to come out. That's not what we're talking about. You've got to have a relationship with God the Father. The first part of that is that you've trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Period. There's not another way to have access to God the Father. It only comes through Jesus Christ. You can't do enough good things in your life. You can't give enough money to charities. You can't be nice to everybody in this room enough in your life to have a relationship with God the Father. He says, Jesus told us, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's the first step to having a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father is trusting, is believing in Jesus Christ. And and so one of the questions I have for the people in this room, have you done that? Have you trusted in Jesus and Him alone for your salvation, for your relationship with the Heavenly Father? And if you haven't, then today's the day for you to do that. To take that first step of faith and saying, I want a relationship with God the Father, and I know it only comes through Jesus. The second part of having a relationship with God is for those of us who have already taken that step of faith of believing in Jesus Christ, and it's this Are you pursuing a personal relationship with Jesus? Are you pursuing it? I mean, are you, are you, is, is it part of your life? Is it part of who you are that you're saying this is the God, the creator of the universe, and, and I get to have a relationship with him, and so I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to have a prayer time, a, a time to dig into his word, a time to listen, a time to hear. Am I pursuing a relationship with him? Now that I already have one because of my position in Christ, now am I pursuing and making it even more personal so that I can say, Abba, Father, so that I am, when I enter his presence, I'm going, I want more. I want to draw near. It's not good enough for me to be sitting next to him anymore. I want to be in his lap. Are you pursuing it? relationship the person of intercession has a relationship with god the father second thing about the person of intercession is that you got to have faith and i'll ask you the question what have you done this week that was a step of faith you see, I, I know many of us, if not all of us in this room, have taken that step of faith to say, I, I'm going to have a relationship with God the Father, and it comes through believing in Jesus Christ. That's, that's an awesome step of faith. But now I ask you, how are you walking by faith and not by sight? How is your life today an act of faith? What is that step that you need to take you see, you and I, most of us, have our lives figured out, right? You've got it planned out. It's, you know you're going you're gonna to go to the picnic this afternoon. You're going to go do whatever you're going to do this after that. You're going to get up in the morning. You're going to have a cup of coffee. You might open God's Word and spend some time reading it. And then you're going to go about your day, and you're going to come home. You're going to eat dinner. You're gonna, and it, that's, then that's the next day, and then that's the next day. So... The person of intercession is a person who is taking steps of faith. How are you becoming a person of faith? Going back to a definition we've been using, faith is believing that God is who he said that he is, that he's going to do what he said that he's going to do. And how is that? control in your life and the things that you're doing and the decisions that you're making. The person of intercession is a person of faith. The last thing about the person of intercession is this. You need to deal with your own sin. S I N. Sin. sin. You need to deal with your sin that's in your life right now. And there's a broad scope to that. You see a lot of us sit in the room we're going, well, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I don't drink, I don't chew, and never went with girls that do, and I don't, and, and you have this. Li- I've never cheated on my spouse. I've never been involved in immorality. I've, and, and that's your list. And you're like, huh, here's the problem. And this is what I've been hit with in my life this week. What about the other sins? What about the sin of self? What about the sin of self-centeredness? What about, and just list it, when's the last time you had just a conversation with God just confessing your sins before Him? Maybe you do it all the time, and that's awesome. But maybe it's been a while. The person of intercession needs to deal with their own sin. It's part of the story that we've skipped over at this point because what we've missed so far, and we're going to get back to it, in Abraham's life specifically, is his wife came up with a plan for them to have a child with Hagar. Hagar. But then what you see in Genesis is there's 12 years that there's no mention of a relationship between God and Abraham. But then we get to this. You've got to deal with sin in your life. Whether it's lust and pornography or greed and gambling or just your own selfishness and self-centeredness and self-righteousness, just you maybe thinking you're better than everybody else or you feeling like you need to criticize everybody else or maybe it's gossip or slander or malice or deceit or lying or cheating. You see, there's a broad scope of sin that needs to be dealt with. And here's what you begin to understand when we will all deal with that sin like every one of us in the room begins to deal with the sin that's in our, my life. Not trying to point out the sin that's in, by the way, that's not intercession. Will God please convict so and so of the sin of gossip? No. Deal with your sin. And when we will collectively do that as a people, there's one thing that will begin to happen. And it's a word that most people spend time praying about, but the truth is that's when revival will take place in our midst. Is when we will stop looking at everybody else's sin. We will look at ourselves and we will deal with it. First John 1 9 says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's It's that simple, just confessing it, agreeing with God that what you're doing is sin and receiving his forgiveness. That's it. So my invitation to you as we close our time is this. One, if you don't have a relationship with God the Father through trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I ask you to, as we stand and we start to sing, come down front and let's settle that today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's number one. Number two, for the rest of us in the room, simple, deal with sin. Deal with sin, and that will be one step in you taking your prayer life to the next level. Deal with your own sin. Enter into the presence of God. Believe He's willing and able. And see your relationship with God soar to new heights. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I know in this room that we are a people who need to deal with the sin that's in our life. So God, I pray that as you have been dealing with me and as I know you are dealing with others, relentlessly, Pursue them and help us to take inventory of our life and deal with the sin that entangles us, that traps us, that keeps us from soaring to new heights with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask if you would to stand with me. We're going to sing, just as I am, without one plea. Then we're going to put the tag on it that says, I come wounded and I come broken.